So glad to see everybody here this morning. I am excited about what God is doing in His people. I'm just, I'm blessed. I believe that's what the Word tells us that we are for us who are saved and being sanctified and will be glorified. That doesn't make us better than anybody. It makes us blessed. Amen. I'm blessed to know the risen Savior. I'm blessed beyond measure to have a home that is waiting for me. I'm blessed beyond measure to be loved this morning. Amen? Do we feel that this morning? I want to preach out of the book of Romans chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If you don't have Bibles, get real uh, close with your neighbor. Maybe they have one. Amen. We're going to read the first five verses. And we're going to preach out of verse 1 and verse 4. Applied Christianity. That's the message for today. Applied Christianity. How many knows it's not enough to merely be saved? We have a work that God has placed in our responsibility for us to do. How many knows that we are the body, right? But I want us to understand this morning that that isn't just any body. That is the body of Christ. In other words, His church, until Christ comes back, is the working hands and the working feet of Christ Himself. It's, this is a glorious thing. It truly is. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, the Word of God reads like this, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, be present uh, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, somebody say, praise God. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Lord, we come to you once again, O God, asking you to reveal yourself to us today, Lord, as we speak upon the name of Christ, Lord, as we open up the word, as we expound upon your thoughts, Lord, fill this mouth, O oh God, give words of wisdom, give God encouragement this morning to edify the body of Christ. Lord, I ask this in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for standing this morning. J.B. Phillips has, uh, I believe, an outstanding uh, rendition of these verses. And uh, he expounds upon it like this. He says, with eyes wide open to the mercies of God. So he's basically putting into his words, trying to understand what verse 
verses 1 and 2 mean, right? And, and, and I find myself doing this too, depending on what translation you have. Sometimes it can be difficult to understand the Word of God. That's not, uh, that's not a wall that's impassable, but it's something that we need to understand that when the Bible was written, it was to a certain group of people with certain ideologies and a way of writing. And sometimes in this modern language, especially someone my age or younger who speaks in emojis, it's like we're going back to like Egyptian hieroglyphics almost. Uh, it's hard to understand the Word of God sometimes. We need to stop and pray, not just merely read the Word, but to study the Word and pray, Lord, reveal Yourself to me. So that's what this J.B. Phillips was doing. So he rewrote, not trying to rewrite Scripture or anything, but trying to understand verses 1 and 2. And this is how he rendered it. And I liked it. It said, With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give Him your bodies as a living sacrifice consecrated to Him and acceptable by Him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds within so that you may prove in practice, and that's the important word there, in practice, that the plan of God for you is good, meets all His demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. So this morning, if you're saved, praise God. If you're not, I don't claim to know your heart. You and God know your heart. If you're not saved this morning, if you don't understand what we are about to expound upon, you can be. That is good news. You need Christ as Lord and as Savior of your life. And that entails quite a bit. You don't have to know every detail. You can be saved this morning. It is grace given to you by God, but know that it comes at a cost. You're going to lose some things, but it doesn't hurt you one bit. That scared me when I was growing up. I grew up in church. I took my testimony all the time, but it's the only one I got, Brother Gene. It's my testimony. And it scared me. I used to lay in bed at night and weep real tears and ask God, Lord, don't take my life tonight. Because I knew, even though I didn't want a Lord, amen, I knew I needed a Savior, but I didn't want to give up my life. I wanted to be sovereign over myself. I had dreams. I had ambitions. I had goals. I had a way that I wanted Scott to live. And boy, that salvation sounds really good. But I knew what it entailed. I had to give up this self-proclaimed sovereignty that I thought I had. And I would lay in that bed and I would cry and I'd say, Lord, don't, don't take me today. I'm not ready. And I would deceive myself and I would make it through that night and I would wake up and the first thing I'd done was drop to my knees and pray. No. No. I wouldn't give it a second thought, Brother Matt. I'd wake up and I'd go and do my thing. My amen corner. Amen. And and I believe that that's probably a lot of our, our story, right? It wasn't until Christ revealed Himself to me. The Jesus of this Bible sounded really good, but it wasn't until 
He showed Himself to me like Job. I heard about Christ. I knew about God. But I seen Him one night. I seen Him as a preacher took the pulpit and He began to just tear my life apart. He didn't know me from Adam. But it wasn't the man in the pulpit. See, I had grew up to understand that the ministry was the ministry. And man, they were held at a high, high example. And you keep them on this pedestal and don't touch God's anointing and, and all of this stuff. But it was, he was just a man. He was flawed. Just like me. But the difference in that preacher and unsafe Scott in the pew was he had grace applied. He was a sinner saved by grace. I couldn't add that last phrase to my life. But thank God that by the end, by the end of that service, I wanted to hit the door and I just I got up to leave and I found myself at the altar weeping for the first time for real. We call them crocodile tears. There wasn't no crocodile tears that night. When I got up from the altar, I turned around and there was people who I didn't like, but now I loved. There was people who I made fun of just 30 minutes ago. But there's something different now. I soon realized that God had saved me for a purpose. And that purpose was to subject myself to His will. To live my life as if He lived in me because that is the truth. I was added to a body that night. His body. That is what the church is. You understand that Christ physically walked this earth for 33 years. He was crucified. He was buried. And praise God, He has rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father where He rules and reigns. And He's coming back again. But Christ's presence has never left the earth. He has ascended but His church is here. Have you ever thought, why in the world is it that we get saved and then we're not just translated out of here? That we're not just with the Father? Well, that would be so good, wouldn't it? I finally press in. I knock until I find, I seek, and I'm found. And Christ saves me. And then He just says, come here, buddy. But no, we're left here for a purpose. And that purpose is to be the body of Christ. You read in the Word of God, come and tell me where Christ rested. He did. He did. Don't he, he was asleep in the bottom of the boat, right? He he went off by himself to pray. There was times when he rests, and thank God those are in there because we need rest, both spiritually and physically. But what did he say over and over again? What was the testimony of Christ? I must needs go. I have to go. We have to do this. There's no place for me to lay my head. I don't have time for that. My time is short. I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. And He's gone one day. He tells His disciples over and over again, work while you can. Be here while you can. The, the Pharisee says, why don't, your, why don't your disciples fast? And they said, how can they mourn when the bridegroom is here? There's coming a day when He won't be here. And He tells them over and over again, learn of Me. Work with Me. Watch Me. Do what I do. Say what I say because I'm going to be gone. In that upper room, He says, I'm going to a place you cannot go. 
But don't worry. I'm sending the comforter. And also, boys, guess what? You can't go yet. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it wasn't true, I wouldn't say it. Do you understand the gravity of that? Yes, it's Christ, the second in the Godhead. But He never said anything that the Father didn't already say. So when He tells His disciples, oh, and remember that this is also the high priestly prayer where He's not just merely talking to the disciples, He's talking to all those who would believe. That's us this morning. If you want to know where you are in the Bible, that's one of those places. I'm right there. Christ was talking about me. He said, my Father said. That's how He could have said it. My, my Father has said that I'm to go. And you can't go yet because there's a work to be done. But don't worry, there's a place for you. So let's look real quickly at verse 1. I wish we had time to exegete all five. We don't have time for that. I want to break down verse 5 and then I want to apply this to our Christian life, the applied Christianity, because it is not enough to have a head knowledge. We have to apply this. We have to put faith into action. That's what James says. You show me faith without works. I'll show you works without faith. They are both together the same and they are both together needed. And it is out of faith that works come. And we understand the dynamic of that. But Paul says, I urge you. This reminds us that Paul's, uh, Paul appeals to our will. Do we have a will in this? Absolutely, we do. I subject myself to a higher power, to a higher will. I hope this is speaking to somebody today. God calls us to make a choice about the way we live for Him. Oh, He saved us. We've gained eternal life. But we quench the Spirit. We quench Him. He urges us to do His work and just don't do it like I should. I'm imperfect in this. Thank God for grace. One of the best realizations that, that I've ever heard, and Brother Matt said it sometime last year, he says, when God saved you, he saved you with all of your problems. <laughs> he, he knew what He was getting. But by glory to glory, by faith to faith, those issues melt away. Sometimes they're immediate. Other times it's a struggle. It's a pressing through. Other things we take to the grave as a thorn in our flesh. But we are always better with Christ. I believe that's what Paul was saying. He prayed three times, right? I have this thorn in my flesh. We believe it to be a physical ailment, a bleeding of his eyes. We have uh, in his letters, he went and preached and he said, y'all would have loved me enough to give me your eyes because of the ailment that I had. And here he is praying, Lord, take this from me, this buffeter, this, this messenger of Satan, this hindrance that I have. And he prayed once and nothing happened. And he prayed twice and nothing happened. And he prayed three times, and nothing happened. No, that's not what the Bible says. On that third time, through the Spirit, Christ said, My grace is sufficient for you. 
do the work. You're a part of the body with your ailment. You're a part of me in your infirmity. You're a part of me in your weakness. And guess what, Paul? I'm going to make you strong in your weakness. And it's not going to be something you can boast in because everybody's going to know it's your weakness. But yet still these things happen. Still souls come to Christ. Still manifestations of the Spirit happen. Still the signs are there. Still the grace is there. Still the teaching is there. Be about the business of God. Well, as soon as I get mature, I will. It's not what the Bible teaches. Well, as soon as I feel released from my struggle, that's not what the Bible teaches. As soon as things are better, let me tell you, things ain't getting better. I wish, I wish I could tell you we could turn to Revelation and Revelation is the the Garden of Eden and everything is perfect. Maybe the last few verses, we have a lot that we're going to go through as the church. But even in the midst of the struggle, I read that there's still souls coming to Christ. And how does that happen? Paul tells us it's through the preaching of the Word. In other words, the church under immense persecution is still the body of Christ. Is still the church. Is still witnessing. But they're going to beat me. Yeah. Is still witnessing. But they're not going to let me buy and sell in the market. Yeah. But still preaching. Still teaching unto death. You say, well, I don't know if I'll ever be martyred. It's still unto death, folks. We die to this flesh. We become a different creature, a new creation, a body of Christ. By the mercies of God. So he urges, he appeals to our will, and he says, by the mercies of God. In other words, by grace, your will is going to be subjected to this. And through chapters 1 through 11, these are just some of the mercies that Paul has expounded upon. The justification from the guilt and penalty of sin. Adoption in Jesus and identification with Christ. Placed under grace, not law. Given the Holy Spirit to live within, not on, within. Promise of help in our afflictions. If that is the only mercy you have, praise God. Assurance of standing in God's election. Confidence of coming glory. Confidence of no separation from the love of God. Confidence, do you think Paul wants us to be confident in this? Confidence in God's continued faithfulness. Chapter 12 starts the application of the teaching. That's Paul's um, uh, way he writes. He lays down the gauntlet of what it is to be a Christian. And then how do I apply that? How do I do what you just said, Paul? He said, present your bodies. Connected with this idea is of a living sacrifice. This call is to mind priestly service. Walk in the high calling that you've been called into. We are a royal priesthood in Christ. There is a work to do. Amen? There were no lazy priests. The ones that were, the ones that were slothful, they were dealt with. 
Read, read through the Old Testament. It is best to see the body here as a reference of our entire being. When Paul says present your bodies, he means everything. Christ said the same thing, right? Your whole mind, your whole body, your whole soul, your whole spirit. Everything that you are needs to be Christ-centered. There is no part of you that, is, that does not have the desire to be like your Lord. Did I say we do that perfectly? No. But my desire is to be that way. You see the difference? A living sacrifice. Remember, this is first century people. The, the, the temple is still here. It's not 70 AD yet. There's still sacrifice going on. Both Jew and pagan would have had first-hand knowledge of what sacrifice was all about. Sacrifice to different gods, yes. But it always entailed of a living creature that was burnt, that was put to death, that was consumed. That's what Paul is calling us to. You say, oh, preacher, that's, that's a high standard. Yes, it is. But glory to God, we're given His Spirit to walk in it. I want to be consumed with God. I, I don't have enough of Him yet. I hope this is our desire as this church is to press into the things of God. Not to just merely have a head knowledge. Thank God for knowledge. It's what grounds us. It's what settles us. It's what places us on this firm foundation. But it's both spirit and truth. It's what Christ told the Samaritan woman at the well. You worship in this mountain. You say us Jews worship in the temple. Her question was, where do, where's, where's God really at? And He said there's coming a day where you're neither going to go to the mountain and worship, you're not going to go to the temple and worship. Because God is spirit, and those who worship Him, worship Him in spirit and truth. It's spiritual activity grounded in biblical knowledge. That's life. That's our life now. He hasn't made this a mystery. In fact, he says the mystery has been revealed. This, this is it. This is our rubric. This is our answer key to the question. What do I do? How do I do? Where do I do? It's there. A living sacrifice. This isn't a one-time thing. This isn't, okay, I've done a good service. I witnessed in the mall today. Praise God. My glory is set. My crown is made. This is a living sacrifice. We're consumed by it. Holy and acceptable to God. Deuteronomy, be holy. Leviticus, be holy. Numbers, be holy. He said it quite a bit in the first five books. Why? Why, Lord? Why call me to be holy? An imperfect creature. Why call me to be holy? A fallible being. Why call me to be holy? An unholy vessel. He said it's easy because I'm holy. And if you're going to be like me, you're going to be holy. Those are one of those attributes. One of these days when the Lord releases us, we're going to do the attributes of God. And those are one of those attributes where we 
we have the image of God, right? We're made in the image of God, so He's perfectly holy, and we are called to be holy, but we do it imperfectly, but we can do it. He is love, and we can love, but we don't love perfectly, right? He is mercy, and we can show mercy, but we don't do it right every time. He is grace, and we can show grace, but like mercy, we don't do that right. Now, I can't be everywhere at once. There are attributes where He is above us, because guess what? We're created in His image, but we're not the Creator. We bear His image like creation bears His image, but that tree can't tell you where to go. There's things that we can do, things that we can't do, and we do them all, Paul says, veiled. We do them in part. We don't do them right. But be holy. Aspire to be like God. That's all He asks. He knows we're imperfect. He just asks for us to be like Him. It's like a five-year-old son. I cannot ask my five-year-old son to do the same things that I do. I just ask him to try. Right? When he's out there and he wants to work in the yard and I'm trying to cut grass and I know all it's going to take is one stick and he's going to be out, but he wants to be there, I just say, hey, do what you can. Just try. That's all God asks is for us to try. And the, the, the key to all of it is if we just step out in faith, He's there. And He gives us what we need. He never sets us into action without already having it figured out. Faith. Be the hands and feet. It's for your spiritual service. KJV, I love it, renders it your reasonable service. This is all He asks. Is for us to just be like our Father. When Richard Paul tries to be like me, he fails. A lot. He sees me interacting with his mama, and then he goes and tries to do it, and he gets in trouble. You know, I'm trying to tickle her. She, she, he gets, and he goes too far, and it's just too much. Right? He sees me throw a shirt on the ground. When Tab tells me I need to pick it up, next thing I know, his whole, his whole room is on the ground. He goes too far. But that's us, right? <laughs> if I try and do this in myself, I do it imperfectly and I, I, ooh, I make a mess. I make a mess of it. But if I step out in faith and I say, God, I can't do this, but you're calling me to do this and I'm going to take this step, he says, that's all I wanted. That's all I wanted. And he gives you what you need. He bolsters you. The power of the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you do what he tells you to do. Faith. Peter did not know how to walk on water. He just stepped out. Well, yeah, but Peter failed. He walked on water, folks. We only remember the failures. That's true in our life, right? Well, yeah, he almost drowned. He walked on water after the failure. Christ didn't carry him back to the boat. They walked to the boat. After the failure, folks, where we would have just crumpled him up and threw him off and say, well, I knew he wasn't what he was supposed to be. No, Christ picks him up sets him back on his feet, they walk to the boat, and then it's over. If God doesn't give up on us, why do we give up on people? If we are to be the body of Christ, then we should have Christ's characteristics. The hands and feet. We could have went the eyes, the ears, the mouth, the nose. We could have done a bunch of these things, but we just simply don't have time. This is talking about verse 4. Let's, let's read it again. 
For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individual members one of another. I just can't stand sister so-and-so. Well, brother so-and-so, he just gets, ooh, he gets under my nerves. That's a brother and a sister. Our responsibility, you ready? Learn to live with them. You know, I have a brother. I only have one. And I love him to death. I do. I have to because he's bigger than me now. He was the younger one. But growing up, man, there were days when I did not like that dude. But I always loved him. Right? I'd want to knock his head off, but let somebody else try and do it. That's my brother. That's my job to mess with him. You don't get to do that, right? It's the same thing with the body of Christ. We're called to be in union one with another, and we do that imperfectly as well. But I still love you. I have to learn how to live with you because we're all part of this body. And if we can work together, oh, what can we do? Christians are expected to present their bodies as a living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, an acceptable sacrifice to God. Our bodies have many members, many parts, which can be used to either glorify God or dishonor God. You say a church can dishonor God? Yes. Let us get in our flesh. Let this pulpit start teaching something that it shouldn't teach. Let the congregation not have a backbone to stand up and say that's not the Word of God. And sooner or later, you have a dimmed, a weakened candlestick that does not reach the lost. Revelation warns us of this. He says, do what I tell you to do. Go where I tell you to go. Preach what I tell you to preach. Witness when I tell you to witness or I'll remove your candlestick. You won't be effective anymore. He'll move on to somebody else. This is important. That's an amen or oh me moment. God's Word has much to say about how we use our hands, how we use our feet. In the Bible, <coughs> excuse me, the hand is often symbolic for the deeds or actions that we do, okay? Consider the exhortations that the Bible gives us are hands and work. What are we supposed to do with work, both physical and spiritual? God does not want us to be lazy, to be slothful. Solomon advises us in Ecclesiastes 9 and 10, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. Do it as unto the Lord. That means we should work hard to do the best we can at whatever we find ourselves doing. That's pretty black and white. Do your best. I'm not perfect. Just do your best. That's all God wants. Do your best. You're going to find that when you do things imperfectly, we used to have this all the time. When I was growing up, uh, the family had a gospel group. We sang here before when it was the old, the old building. And uh, the night before, we'd be like, this is the last... This is the last time we're singing. We're breaking the band up. I don't even want to be a family member with you. Like it was fighting cats and dogs. It, was, it wasn't the right songs. It wasn't the right tone. It wasn't the right key. We don't know the songs. We don't know the keys. 
You want me to do, I'm eight, nine years old. You want me to have a solo? I ain't doing that, right? All of this stuff going on. And then we would get to the event and God would move. Guess what? It still sounded like hot garbage to us. But afterwards, everybody would come up and hug our neck. And I'm not talking this superficial, oh, y'all did good. And the whole time you're like, we're never getting them back again. No, God moved in those events because all He wanted us to do was try. We used to say it all the time. God crumpled everything up we did on the platform and when He threw it out, it was good. Same thing in our preaching, our teaching, our witness. I don't know what to say. Just say Jesus. That's a good place to start. One of the guys that mentored me whenever I was getting uh, new in this and witnessing, I said, "How, how do I start? And he was an older guy and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, I normally start by saying hello. Just just be you. God knows what He has called. Hey, I'm Scott. And if you was to die today, where would you go? That answers a lot of, of your questions. That gets straight to the bush. Now, you don't start off with that. You talk to the person, but that needs to be said. If you was to die today, where would you go? And that person's either going to be truthful with you, or he's going to turn you off, or they're going to lie. Oh, I'm going to heaven. How do you know? Well, you can't know. No, you can. You can know. Well, I, 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 just, I just don't know. I know I had an experience one time when I was... I was younger, I felt like something changed, but I've failed since then. Oh, let me tell you about grace. Come back to Him. Right? It's just, just talk. You're going to find that if God has put somebody in your midst, He's already opened the door. He's already been dealing with that person. And a lot of times, you don't even know what to say, but it, what you say, you're just reading their mail. Because the Spirit knows. You're just a vessel. The miraculous is breaking forth into the physical and you don't even understand what's happening. That's how good God is. You don't have to know. You just got to be willing. You'll know later. It'll be revealed to you. You'll you'll have that experience and you'll leave and you'll be in your car driving like, what in the world was that? God is good. Be the hands the hands in God's law. God told His people to bind His law and words as a sign. This is Deuteronomy 6 and 8. As a sign on your hand. Have your hands about God's business. Hands in prayer. Our actions represent by our hands. If our actions represent, let's say it that way, represented by our hands, are contrary to God's way of life, we are told in Isaiah 1, Isaiah 59, Psalm 66, we're told if your actions are contrary to the things of God, your prayers are not heard. The scary part about that is that if my actions are contrary to the things of God, I need my prayers to be heard. But I I remember that growing up, not really 
wanting to submit, but praying to God, right? And oh man, they were eloquent prayers. I even prayed in the King, in, in King's English, right? Like, thus saith thee, <laughs> you know, just the ignorance of a kid. I thought, well, that's the way my Bible reads, so I, I guess that's how God wants to talk, you know. Thus saith your servant, Lord, heareth me. It's funny now, but I mean, I meant it then. Did absolutely nothing for me. But then when it come time, when God did the work, you know how eloquent my prayer was? I don't even know if I said words. I was crying too much. I, I remember all I could say was Jesus. That was it. That's all I needed. He knew. In our feet, as we finish, don't walk in darkness. It's pretty easy. Walk in light, right? The prophet Jeremiah wrote that we don't naturally know the right way to walk. We are deprived. Jeremiah 10 and 31, it is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Simply put, human beings left to their own devices don't know how to live. We don't know how to do. Walk by the light revealed in God's Word. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, it's a lamp unto my feet. It's a light to my path. He illuminates your life. He has a way that He wants us to go. And it's on this straight and narrow path, but I have learned by experience that it is straight and it is narrow because there is only one way, but it has turns in it. And if you're not ready for the turn, you'll find yourself off the path. We're governed by the Word of God. Walk as Christ walked. He doesn't want His church to walk in a different way than He walked. He wants His body to do what His body does. Walk on the right path. Jesus spoke about two general paths that a person can walk on in Matthew 7. One's wide and broad. And it's the path that most people take, unfortunately. But it leads to destruction. Does that hurt you this morning? To know that some of your friends, some of your family, people that you know, maybe some in this church, I don't know, are on this path this morning? It should bring sorrow to your heart because Jesus wept over Israel. He stood over Israel and with tears coming down His face, His face, He said, I would love for you to be with me. I would gather you like a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. He didn't look at them and cast judgment upon them and say, hellfire to you. He, he showed love. He showed love. The narrow and difficult path is only walked by a few people and it leads to eternal life as we stand this morning. Are you, are you about your Father's business? One thing you need to understand this morning is to be about your Father's business is He needs to be your Father. This is 
preached to the believer this morning. Do you want to work for God? Salvation needs to be first because works are never going to guarantee you salvation. Works don't even come close to gaining you salvation. If that's true, then then the Bible's wrong. The Pharisees had it right. And John the Baptist called them a bag of snakes, a den of vipers. And he had it wrong. They had it right. Jesus stood up and said, Woe unto you, Pharisees, you hypocrites. Jesus had it wrong if it's by works. We know that it's not. It's by faith and faith alone. But don't neglect the works. We have a work to do. Amen. Our hands and our feet are important parts of our body and represent our actions and our direction. As we think about them, let's remember to use them to honor God by practicing religious deeds and walking in His ways, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice because we now hopefully have the realization that this isn't my body anymore. I represent Christ. I'm one of those sent ones that the Bible speaks of. I'm a representative of my king. When an ambassador went out, he went with the seal of the king. And when everywhere that ambassador was, it was as if the king was there himself. When the ambassador made a deal, he was backed by the full power of the kingdom. Do you live your life like that? When you go out and witness, are you witnessing with the full power of the kingdom? Are you explaining what it is to be in the kingdom? Because an ambassador didn't go out with his, his words. He went out with the words of the king. An ambassador was put to death if he was found to be saying anything other than what the king was saying. I want to deal with it here while we can. I want to work while we can. I want to be able to, I, I, I need to just start quoting Brother Matt because he has a lot of things that he says good. Well, don't judge me. I want to have something that I can present to my king on that day. I don't want to go empty-handed because that's how he got me. Empty-handed. I want to go with something. And it's those rewards, it's those things that only come by the power of the Spirit. Amen? These altars are open this morning. If, if you're not in this kingdom, you can be. If you have a desire to work and you say, well, I've just, I've, I've issues of life, right? They've just kept me back. Christ can be made powerful in your life. If you have an ailment in your body, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. But let's pray, Lord, I, Thank You, O God, for Your Word. Lord, for the ability to just be known by You. Lord, but not just that. You said that we're not merely servants, but that You call us friends. That You bring us into this kingdom, Lord, and and that You put us to work, Lord. A blessed work. That You give us something to do that we're not merely a part of this kingdom, but that this kingdom is literally made and built by the workings 
of you through us. Lord, what an honor it is to work for you. Let us have a new zeal, O God. Give us a fresh anointing, O Lord, to do this work. Lord, to be your hands, to be your feet. Lord, as we go out amongst this community, Lord, and our friends, our family, our fellow workers, let them not see us, O God, but let them see you in us. Draw them, Lord, by your power and give us opportunity, Lord, to praise you. Lord, I ask this in your name. Amen.